you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in your Bibles to the middle part of the Bible to Psalm number 78. Psalm number 78. And I want to read some verses. We've had this as one of our theme passages during our initiative that we were calling, in our series we're calling Pass It On. And I want to read from Psalm 78, verses 4 to 7. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read these verses. I'm actually going to start in the second phrase of verse 4. It says, Tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. We've been involved in a series of messages for a number of weeks we've called Passing It On, Lighting the Way for the Next Generation. And if you remember, the very first week we took a look back and a look ahead as we look back at the 40th anniversary of Wildwood. And then the second week we talked about how children are wet cement, how 90% of people in our culture come to trust in Christ as Savior before the age of 20. And then the next week we talked about gaining what matters, investing our finances to win eternal friends. And then Mark last week talked about how Sunday school didn't save me, where he stressed the importance of the gospel and the benefit of building spiritual truth into children. What I want to talk about this morning is something I'm calling elastic faith. Elastic faith. A number of years ago, I was reading through a list of the marks of an effective church. And one of those marks of an effective church was this. It said a constant effort is made in an effective church to stretch people's faith. A constant effort to stretch people's faith is a mark of an effective church. And that's what we're asking God to do through the Pass It On initiative is to stretch our faith. But when we talk about elastic faith, There are two core ingredients that help to make up elastic faith. And I want to talk about those briefly this morning. The first one is vision. If you're going to have elastic faith, you have to have vision. And the second core ingredient is boldness. There must be boldness. So that's what we want to look at. Those two core ingredients of elastic faith. And the first one that I want to look at is that of vision. The first core ingredient of elastic faith is vision. Now, those of you who are able to make one of the 11 home meetings that we had uh, know that I enjoyed telling the story of Walt Raymond and his influence in the life of nine-year-old Howard Hendricks, one of the greatest believers of our generation. This morning, I want to tell you the story about another individual. He was an individual who was born in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, his parents were nominal church attenders, attending in Montgomery the Presbyterian Church because that's 
where his father had attended for a number of years. Went to the Presbyterian church, was cared for in the Presbyterian church in the nursery, and of course no one really had any idea of the future of this individual when they were taking care of him in the nursery. When he was yet still a toddler, uh, his family moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, while there in Pittsburgh, uh, at the age of two, he was sprinkled baptized at the Latrobe Evangelical United Brethren Church. And of course, while he was there, uh, no one really had any idea that this individual would grow up to be a pastor of a church one day and a, and a missionary and a, a conference speaker. His parents moved to New Jersey, in fact, to Glenrock, New Jersey, still nominal attenders of a church, attended their community church of Glenrock, which was a church that had Dutch Reformed background, but none of the members of the family had ever really understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this individual at the age of three found church to be a little bit bewildering. Uh, in fact, it was a little bit boring to him. But he continued to grow up over the years, slowly progressing as an individual. And um, there was always the question that you would think of, what's this person going to grow up to be? What would he grow up to be? He had a little stint for a while uh, modeling for a toy catalog, experienced that. Modeling career didn't really work out very well for him. Uh, he considered becoming a beach boy. Uh, that was a big part of his thought process there for a while. But like many kids, he continued to dutifully allow his picture to be taken on Easter Sunday, which was the big Sunday of the year. So Easter Sunday after Easter Sunday, Pictures were taken of him. But all during this time of attending church in somewhat of a nominal fashion, Bible stories were being planted and some general ideas and perspective about God was being seeded, but there was no clear understanding of the gospel for this person. And then, in the middle of his fifth grade year, at the age of 11, his family moved to a suburb of Kansas City. And his parents started attending a newly started church that was called Hillcrest Covenant Church. And it was while that family was going to that church for the very first time, the gospel was clearly presented to members of the family in a very clear manner. Now, do you have any idea who this person is? All right, yeah, it's pretty obvious uh, it's my life story. Indeed, I went on to college and seminary, graduated from seminary. I did a pastoral internship in uh, Kansas, in Sterling, Kansas. And of course, eventually I came to my first full-time job, which was at Wildwood Community Church. What I want to do, though, is I want to back up from that point a little bit. I want to go back to the point of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, a very interesting thing happened to me a few months ago. Someone in the church brought this little uh, gospel of John to me, 
And they said, you know, uh, we, were, we were at a garage sale. And, and we found this Gospel of John as part of the garage sale. And we brought it to you because we thought you might be interested in it because we noticed your name was in it. And I literally, I have no idea. To my memory, I have never, I have never seen this. I know that I, I had it, but I don't remember having it. I was shocked. <laughs> when you think about where all I've lived, and I don't know, my mother didn't even know where this came from. But this Gospel of John has a decision in the back of it where I actually, I had written in the back of this, and I don't know if you can, can read it, but basically it says this, Believing that Christ died for me and rose again and will save to the uttermost all who come unto God by him, I now receive him as my personal Savior and confess him as my Lord and Master. And then there's Romans 10, 9 there, and it's dated November 27, 1960, Bruce S., 9 Marinas Place, Glen Rock, New Jersey. Isn't that awesome? That's unbelievable. But what's really interesting is that um, I signed that when I was nine years old, but I don't think I really knew the Lord yet. And you think, well, what does that, what does that mean? Well, I think it just points to the fact that you need to be exposed to the gospel a number of times before you actually truly embrace it. And probably someone shared this with me and said, you know, if you believe that, you should, you should write in there. And I thought, yeah, it sounds good to me, and I probably wrote my name in there. But, you know, know, people say that you are exposed to the gospel, the average person, six to seven times before you actually trust in Christ as Savior. And what does that really mean for us? Even when we talk about children's ministry, it means never underestimate the seeds that are being sown in the life of young people. Now, I want to go, go again uh, ahead to the age of when I was 11 from when I was 9 because I think I'd heard the truths of the gospel communicated a number of times, but it was when we were in Kansas City and we were going to Hillcrest Covenant Church that I really believe I came to know the Lord. There were some traveling children evangelists that came to our church. Their names were Willard and Margaret Grant. And you know what, Miller... Willard and Margaret were amazing people. They spent 40 years of their life, five days a week, presenting evangelism programs to children. They had a travel trailer. It had 1,200 pounds of equipment in it, 150 marionettes that Willard had made himself. And in the course of their ministry career, they traveled across the United States of America four million miles in their car. And uh, they ate some 700 meals in different homes every year. And in 1962, Willard and Margaret Grant came to Hillcrest Covenant Church. And I I remember that, uh, I don't remember everything about all of that. I do remember that they came that day, and they always had themes that they would do to attract children. One of the themes they had that time was a Scottish theme, and Both Willard and Margaret were dressed in kilts. And one of the things that they would do is they would have you as children memorize verses. The very first uh, verse I ever memorized was Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And they not only had you memorize verses, but they very clearly shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of that, Willard would have you raise your hand and if you wanted to, to trust in Christ, and 
Then they would take those who raised their hands out into a side room where they would talk with those children more and they would have prayer with them. I didn't, I didn't do that. To the best of my memory, I didn't raise my hand in the meeting. But I went home and within 24 hours on my bed, in my bedroom, wrestling with all of these issues and all this truth that I had heard, I basically decided right there on my bed that I wanted to trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior to have forgiveness of sins and to have eternal life. What's really interesting about that story is a couple of years ago I wrote Willard and Margaret Grant and uh, found out that Willard had died uh, actually a couple of years before that but Margaret wrote me back and uh, in fact she's the one who sent that little picture that we, we had up of them and we still have up of them to me and um, on Friday I decided I'm going to call her because you know what she I, I said some things in the letter to her but she really never had heard the rest of the story and so I dialed her up and she answered the phone she's 81 years old answered the phone and I just said Margaret, do you remember me? You know, Bruce asked, you know, Norman, Oklahoma. I sent you a letter a few years ago, and da 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 da. And immediately she said, Yes, and I answered your letter. Did you get the answer? You know. <laughs> I said, Yeah, I did, but I said, I, I really didn't, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I didn't really want to just write you a long letter about everything that, that God had done in my life because I, I didn't want to make it look like I was patting myself on the back. But I said, The more I've thought about it, the more you ought to know the rest of the story. And I, and I explained to her, we went back to the scene in 1962 and talked about how I was one of those little boys and, you know, blah, 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 and one of the children in there, and I told her the whole story. And then I told her the rest of the story. I said, you know, you just need to know what happened to me. And went on to explain what went on with me through high school and through college and how God had grown me spiritually so much in college, and then I had gone on to seminary and I had come to Wildwood Community Church, and God had used me. Um, to, to be involved in a ministry in Latvia and actually several other nations and, and how I'd gotten involved with family life. I just told her the whole story. And, of course, she was very thrilled to hear that story. And then she said to me, maybe you'd like to know the rest of the story. <laughs> I said, sure, tell me about it. She said, well, you need to know a little bit about us. She said, Willard, Willard was raised in Hong Kong, and he was the son of missionaries in Hong Kong. But he did not know the Lord Jesus personally. And uh, in fact, he trusted Christ in Hong Kong in 1937 when he was 13 years old. And she said, here's what happened in 1937. She said, J. Edwin Orr, who was a young evangelist, came... He was 25 years old, J. Edwin Orr was, when he came to Hong Kong. Now, immediately when she said J. Edwin Orr, I went, J. Edwin Orr? You've got to be kidding me. And that's because I knew who J. Edwin Orr was. J. Edwin Orr was a longtime professor at Fuller Seminary, professor of world missions. And uh, he, he is the leading expert on spiritual revival in America. By far and away, no one comes close. Jabin Orr was one of the five original board members of Campus Crusade for Christ. 
a very significant man. In fact, if you'd like to just learn a little bit more about him, you can go to his website. He's not here, obviously, anymore, but someone has a website called J. Edwin or O-R-R dot com, and you can actually go there, and there's videos of this guy, all kinds of information. It's, it's fascinating to see. But J. Edwin Orr was 25 years old when he came to Hong Kong. And she's telling me this story, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, Willard Grant is really my spiritual father, and that means that J. Edwin Orr was my spiritual grandfather. I had absolutely no idea. None. Zero. And I'm going, wow, Margaret, that's amazing. And she goes, oh, there's more to the story. She said, you know how J. Edwin Orr got to Hong Kong? I said, no. And she said, there were two businessmen who, who wanted to be able to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ went out. And they, they offered to pay the expenses of J. Edwin Orr to go to Hong Kong. And I'm just thinking of those two businessmen who gave some money so someone could travel to share the good news of Jesus Christ. They had no idea what all was really going to go on as they invested that money. In fact, what happened was really amazing because J. Edwin Orr, who really was a very good evangelist, came to Hong Kong and he preached. And you know how many converts he had in Hong Kong? One. One convert in Hong Kong. And Margaret said, you know what happened to J. Edwin Orr is he came home from Hong Kong. I mean, you know, some businessmen had paid his way to go there to preach the gospel in Hong Kong, and he comes back with one convert, and he came home discouraged from that. J. Edwin Orr thought he was sort of a failure of a trip to go to Hong Kong preach the gospel in multiple meetings, and one person comes to Christ. But that one person was 13-year-old Willard Grant, who came to live in the United States at the age of 17, who went on to complete college and and, uh, complete uh, some Bible training and came away with a passion to be a child evangelist. And what's really interesting is, in 1969, 32 years after Edwin Orr had gone to Hong Kong, Willard Grant got a call, along with his wife Margaret, saying, would you come to Hong Kong and hold evangelism meetings for children? Of course, it was easy for him to do because he was raised there and he spoke Cantonese. And so... Margaret went on to tell me that they came to Hong Kong in 1969. They held meetings that that were attended by 35,000 children. 1,100 of those children came to Christ. And what is really interesting, she said, is when they came back in 69, there was a Chinese lady there who was in her late 90s. And she remembered back in 1937 a 13-year-old boy who came to Christ. And she hadn't seen him since he'd left that area a few years later to go to the United States. And that Chinese lady said, I have been praying for decades that that boy, Willard, would become a preacher. 
Now, you know, it's just interesting to me. Children are wet cement, and you know, as you see it over and over again, the whole story of life change. And I think about J. Edwin Orr. I don't know if J. Edwin Orr ever knew really what happened. But he went to Hong Kong. He went to Hong Kong and had one convert who later led 1,100 children in Hong Kong to Christ and had tens of thousands of children that he led to Christ. And if J. Edwin Orr didn't have one convert in Hong Kong, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's just awesome to have a little picture, just one picture of how God works. Now you have to know this. Margaret is a robust 81. Okay? I'm telling you. You know what she told me? She still teaches children's church every week. Every week. I don't want to hear any whining out of the 60 and 70 year olds, all right? Or the 50 year olds. Margaret Grant is teaching children's church every Sunday at the age of 81. And she said this to me. She said, Bruce, I, I want you to know, as I was just sharing with her part of my story, and she said, you know, when we used to have these meetings, she said, I would have this prayer with the Lord as all these children were gathered. And she would say, you know, God, I don't know the potential of these children, but you do. But we pray that the time that we spend with these children, with the Word of God, and as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, we would pray, Lord, that you would use it in their hearts. What an incredible perspective to have. And if you've ever worked in the children's ministry or thought about it, what a great perspective to have as you're working with those kids to say, God, I don't know the potential of these children, but I would pray that as we share biblical principles with them and as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ that you would use it in their hearts. I told Margaret what we were doing. I said we're in the middle of a pass it on initiative because we would like to develop a children's ministry building that would double the ability of us to minister to kids. And here's what she said. Would you tell your people something? I said, absolutely. She said, would you tell your people that the most important people in the church are the children? Tell them they are the most important People because they are the future of the church. And you know, every once in a while, I've had the opportunity to uh, walk through the halls of Wildwood. If you've never done it, you ought to do it. I I've done it on Wednesday nights when we have a wana going. And uh, I have less of an opportunity to do it on Sunday mornings because largely I'm engaged with you here. But I've done that, you know, and you just see classrooms filled and you see kids and you see people dedicated to teaching them. And, and you know what? I've just marveled at that. I've walked through the halls marveling and praying, God, would you raise up from this church men and women 
who will really make a difference from your kingdom, for your kingdom. And you know, the truth is, we lose sight of this, I think, sometimes, but we are incubating here the future pastors and elders of this church and other churches. We are incubating here future adult fellowship group and Awana leaders. You met one of them last week when Matt Russell was here who was incubated and now he's involved in leading. And we are incubating here future women's Bible study leaders right now. See the passion behind this? This, this is what we're talking about. This is why you need elastic faith. It's the passion drives it. And I want to I show you again the video that we saw the very first week. So many people enjoyed it, and a number of people missed it. But I want you to see it again because it's all built on this core ingredient of passion about kids. So enjoy the video again. Before kids turn 13, about half of all people who come to trust in Christ as their savior and their rescuer from sin and judgment do that before they become teens. Um, and then it, the numbers go up from there. When you look at the national statistic, 90% of Americans will trust Christ before their 20th birthday. Only when we get to heaven are we gonna fully understand the ripple effect. Are we fully gonna understand the geometric impact of these young lives. The success of our children's ministry only goes as far as our teachers. Now, I'm extremely proud of the caliber of people that we've got. And I know where their heart is. I know how much they want children to be exposed to the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the cool things is the workers and the teachers that we have in children's ministry now, that's what they get excited about. They don't get excited about lights and music and color primarily. They get excited about the idea of passing on the gospel, to be able to teach the gospel to children. And that's the kind of people that um, are drawn to work within children's ministry are people who want to take a four-year-old or a five-year-old and say, I want to explain the gospel to this young child in such a way that they will see their need for Jesus, place their faith in Jesus, and um, be able to understand the significance of that. And then they not only care about leading them to Christ, but what's really cool is they realize the importance of bi building biblical truth into them at a young age. That age is such a formative time. This is when we're essentially shaping the worldview of future adults. You know, God's Word is the simple, and, and that's the beauty of it, that even a four or five-year-old child can listen to the same story this is that can teach an adult. Uh, because he said he was what? The king. The king of the Jews. I like telling kids Bible stories. When you read a, a child a Bible story, you can really feel God at work. In heaven. In heaven. Through that Bible story, you can feel the power of His Word as you talk. You see how God, you know, made a provision for just it's such a simple message that even children can understand. And it doesn't matter how old they are, it always applies to their lives. Church isn't as much fun if I don't get to see my little kids. I think what really says the most about our program is the kids want to come. We don't, we don't have to force the kids to come, they want to come, so I think that says everything. <laughs> 
going to Sunday school here definitely had a big impact on my life. When I was four, I decided to accept Christ as my Savior. It's really interesting to work with um, children that are about the same age as I was when I accepted Christ, just to see where they are and um, the different concepts they can grasp. Because looking back on my life, four seems like a really early time to decide to accept Christ, but talking to the different kids in the class, I can definitely see how they're learning and they know enough about Christ to truly make a decision for Him. I think the way that Wild is making a difference in our children's lives is uh, we're based on teaching God's Word, but there's no reason why we can't make it fun. In Camp Wildwood, we'll start off with some fun, fast music. The kids will be jumping around and doing something exciting. We'll have a skit. We'll have somebody come in who's funny, do a skit that's purposeful towards the teaching. Then we'll do a couple more songs, probably one that's a little slower and a little more tempo-driven towards worship and gearing them down for a teachable moment. We'll have a, a teacher in that'll speak for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then we'll have a closing song that gears them up for their next move in the rotation. look out and see the kids doing the motions with you or raising their hands praising God while they're singing and when you're doing a slower song if some of them are closing their eyes and just worshiping him and just thinking about him and all that he's done for us it's very powerful to see those kids enjoying it I think God's word it can be a blast it can it can be a lot of fun it, Okay. Not quite yet, Mr. Steve. This is my game. Do you guys think this is fair? Today's lesson is that Jesus' trial was unfair, and I want them to understand what it feels like in a situation that the circumstances are unfair. I want to make that real for them, the connection between what the Word is and how it applies to their life. Before I prepare the message, I begin the week before and I begin to pray about it. You know who turned him over to the mom? Yeah. One of his friends. And if I know that he's guiding me in this children's ministry endeavor, I know his words are being spread and what my goals for the children's ministry are being accomplished. When I'm teaching a message and I try to uh, apply it to daily living and I, and I see those kids get quiet and I know they're really thinking about what I'm talking about, the message that God has for them. I think that's the most exciting part for me. We're having an Iwana Grand Prix and we are so excited, so stoked. Awanas here at Wildwood is one of the oldest ministries um, that we have at Wildwood. James 210. One of the one of the jobs that the commander has, I get to meet all of the new kids that come into Awanas. Part of being a first-time visitor, I share the gospel with them. This is the greatest job that you'll ever get to do. You get to share 
the gospel with every new child that comes in. We found out about Awana, and that's why we came to Wildwood, was because of the children's programs. The younger you are, uh, if you can reach a child before they're teenagers, then they have such an advantage having Jesus in their heart going through those teenage years. And that's why I like doing Awana. It's the opportunity to uh, witness to young children so that they can have Him in their heart real young. You go home and, and you know you've worked with these kids and they just love you. And You go home and that's a great feeling. Hebrews 13.5, go. Awana's is, is incredible because it, the kids get to learn the Bible. They live to learn the Word of God. It's the same messages, the same verses that Bruce teaches up in big church um, that the kids hear in Awana's. It's just not a program that they come through and, and go through and get done uh, and say their verse and go home. It's reaching them and I've even seen children bring their parents into church because of Awana. And uh, that's, that's really cool when all of a sudden the family is coming because a child came to Awana. Every year since I've been involved with the ministry at Wildwood, we have, have gone into another year saying we need more space for children's ministry. Well, the truth of the matter is we're just out of room. We are utilizing every room that we have on Sunday morning right now. We don't have any rooms available. And so we began to realize that if we don't make a plan for what we're going to do next, we're, we're virtually going to grind to a halt in terms of reaching families and reaching people for Christ, and we don't want to do that. Wildwood has a st very strong emphasis on children's ministry and has had it for a long time. But when someone just walks into our facility and just kind of looks around, they would never think as a visitor, this is a church that's dedicated to children's ministry. But one of the things that we've always had is that our physical space has always been shared space. So we've had rooms that have been used by children and adults, by children and youth. And um, while that is great for functionality, it also creates some difficulty um, when it comes to ministry specifically to kids. Adults and kids definitely have different needs for rooms. Some of the rooms are not really designed for, for children. The room I'm in right now, we don't have enough space to hang coats for children or they're too high for children to reach because adults use them. Uh, the chairs are too big and if you don't watch children, they'll flip out of them. Sometimes it would be nice if we could uh, decorate the room a little more uh, kid-friendly as far as the age group that we're working with. Kids like colorful, soft, friendly places and things that are made for adults just don't really turn on kids. And I think some of the classrooms are a little a little crowded. Some of, our, some of our classrooms, small rooms, have 20 plus kids in them, um, which is inadequate if the children are going to be here for three hours on a Sunday. I think it kind of stresses them out a little bit to be squashed in all room. <laughs> so we have to share our classroom with another class, so part of it is is kind of off limits for the time that we're in there and trying to keep four and five-year-olds from crossing this imaginary line is kind of hard to do so it'd be nice to have one place that's just theirs. I look forward to a new room so that we can separate the sleeping children from the children who are crying. <laughs> we do a lot of rocking with, uh, with the babies, but we really don't have a, a, a set-aside place for the children to sleep. On Wednesday night, we have anywhere from 130 to 150 kids 
on Wednesday night just in, in Awanas, and that's in Kobe Sparks and Truth and Training. That's not including the youth wave kids. Every single room in this church on the lower level is filled with kids. Uh, we run out of rooms. Uh, even Awana is growing, and it would be nice to have a more kid-friendly building. Here we go, ready? On your mark, set, go! When it comes to our youth, uh, God has really grown that ministry over the last few years. This is probably going to be a train wreck. You look up now, and there are more bodies in that room during the youth wave time on Sunday mornings than there are seats or physical space. But we've put our youth ministry in a box that is limiting their future growth. On Sunday morning, it was so jammed in there, we actually had a new family that came and their kids looked into that youth wave room and realized there didn't appear to be any seats anywhere and they actually turned around and left and that just sort of broke my heart because that's not really what we want to see happening we, we want to have adequate space to be able to reach the youth that need to be reached and uh, so it's very very critical in my mind that we develop the space for our children's ministry, which will give us some relief for our youth ministry and put us in a position to continue to grow. We were here when we did the uh, Vision 21 to move up into the other sanctuary, just to see the whole body come together and have the vision of what the upstairs sanctuary looks like. And we've really seen the church almost double uh, in, that, in that time frame. Um, I think this impact of doing a children's wing will have the same, if not a bigger impact. Uh, when we thought about Pass It On and the Pass It On initiative, we really wanted to focus not on blueprints and drawings and buildings. Um, buildings are a shell, they're a tool, uh, but that's not the substance of what we're about as a church. Uh, the substance of what we're about as a church is we're on a mission that God is working through us to share His love with our community. This is about an initiative to create more space for more people to tell children about Jesus Christ. Passing on is really built on that foundation of passion to be able to reach lives that are wet cement. We talked about two core ingredients in elastic faith. I want to talk about the, the second core ingredient of elastic faith very briefly, and that is boldness. Boldness. You know, um, if you live in the harbor... It's very safe and comfortable in the harbor. But it's in the uncharted waters when you get out of the safe places that God proves himself strong. And I remember Walt Raymond's little nine-year-old, Howard Hendricks, when he grew up and we were in seminary, he would challenge us with this thought. He would say, what are you believing God for that only he can do. And I think that's a great question that the church needs to be asking ourselves from time to time, and that's why we need elastic faith. What are we believing God for that only he can do? 
And the reality is to develop a children's ministry building is going to take God working in your life and in mine. Gordon MacDonald said this, he said, church growth is ultimately accomplished in a climate of faith. No church has ever been blessed by God's Spirit if it restricted its decision-making to the obvious and safe. Faith demands the willingness to take large risks, which really aren't risks at all. Bold decisions are not stupid ones. They are not the result of one person who wishes to build an organizational monument to himself. Rather, they are believing decisions made by a prayerful leadership of men and women of faith who are trusting God for great things. Bold decisions are made by people who are not totally sure of the results, but they know their church belongs to the Lord, and where He leads it will be His concern. They step forth in faith, and God responds. And as we shared... um, In our home meetings, Jesus is asking us as we take on a very, very large project, what do you have to give? And we are to bring our loaves to Him. And that's where we've come today. We've come to Commitment Sunday as we have encouraged you to seek out the Lord and have Him guide you. And we are today wanting to collect these pass it on commitment cards. And I have shared with you that I would like to see from Wildwood 100% participation. Even someone who is young can give something to this. And as you leave here today, this is going to be our life response, is to take your card that you have brought, and there will be some buckets at the doors, and to place that commitment card into that bucket today as a response to our time today and all that we've invested in the weeks before. I do want to encourage you, if you forgot, uh, there are extra cards out there, or if you haven't even processed this as a family unit yet, it's still not too late. But we would encourage you to do that and get this card back to us this week. So don't miss the blessing. Don't miss the opportunity of investing and seeing what God is going to do. Because we want to be men, women, young people, children who have elastic faith, driven by passion and also by boldness to ask God to do great things for His honor and for His glory. You know, we don't really know exactly how this is going to work out. But we're looking to God to work in your heart and in my heart and in our lives to make this a reality. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for all that you've been teaching us. It's just awesome to think about. And we thank you for the great privilege that we have to invest for eternity. And Lord, we would pray that you would make us individually men and women of elastic faith as we consider investing in this way. And I know that you have been You've been growing hearts and touching hearts and teaching hearts throughout this whole process. We've heard some of the testimonies of what you've done. And Father, we want Jesus Christ to be lifted up. We want Jesus Christ to be honored by this entire process. We would pray that he would be encouraged by our elastic faith as we seek to pass it on and light the way for the next generation. We pray that would happen, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.